We got it. Did I push the right button? Yeah, yeah. You pushed, you pushed the right button. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. You know, there's a saying, to teach is to touch a life forever. And I bet all of you watching have had a special teacher in your life that just means so much to you that you still carry in your heart, even if you don't see that teacher anymore, somebody maybe you learned something from or shaped you or influenced you. Well, today I have the privilege and honor of having back on the show, it's been a couple of years, of my favorite teacher, Joan Darling. She's not only one of the first women directors in television, one of the first to win an Emmy, the first definitely to be nominated, but she just celebrated yesterday her 88th birthday, and her wisdom transcends acting and directing. And she's going to share with us these 88 years of wisdom today, because I'm going to talk to you about the top 10 things that I learned from her. And she's going to talk to you about how these will help you in your life, even if you never want to be an actor or director. Please welcome my favorite person on the planet, Joan Darling. It is so wonderful to see you again. So wonderful, wonderful for my me. My favorite person on the planet, we have waited Joan Darling. It is so wonderful to see you again. Well, that's okay. That, 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 that's okay to say that twice. So so how have you been? Well, first of all, happy birthday, 88. Thank That's you. remarkable. Thank you. Yeah. You, you look great. I mean, you don't look like you're impaired in any way whatsoever. No, uh, no it's only, it's astounding to me. I cannot believe it, you know, because I, I still have a tremendous amount of energy, particularly working. Whenever I'm working, I, don't, I have no idea how old I am. When I, you know, walk up a flight of stairs that I notice that things are a little different than they used to be. But I just want to say, well, 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 you're talking about that as a student and as a person meeting you, I just loved you from the moment I met you. And yeah. to watch all the things that you created and did for yourself over the time that we knew each other, I just feel, talk about a really special lady, everybody out there. This person here really created an absolute fantastic life. So there you go. Well, thank you. You know, you know, when I think about it, I you, you were 50 when I met you. My God. 25, you were 50. So it's been almost 40 years since I've been in your class, over 30 since I've taken it. And I don't really remember anything you taught me about acting, but I feel like you were just <laughs> teaching people about life and how to live a life. Like it, it just, it was like you were reparenting us in a way because people would just like drink from the fountain of Joan. It's like we, people would come to your class and just never leave because it was just, it was just so inspirational. And while I can't remember the specifics, it's like, it, it's like you always said, my voice will go with you. And it does. Oh, I'm delighted. Yeah. I, it's so funny because the, the, the subject that you chose for this show is really, uh, it's why I am so intrigued and never get tired of teaching is because one, I have, I have the right information about acting, which a lot of people don't have, but the other is there's something about working on that art form that is so transformative for people. And I, the example I used to use in classes, you know, when you were a little kid and you had a tantrum and your mother said, go to your room, then you come to an acting class and you have a tantrum on stage and everybody goes, yay, that was great. <laughs> so people really begin to accept when they really learn to act, they begin to accept who they are and what they feel. And they discover that the, the negative judgments out in the world are completely reversed when they're on the stage. Yeah. So that they really become, and this is very, very, I feel very true for you. You began to realize that you were pretty terrific. 
it's therapeutic. The whole process of acting, it's just, there's something special about it. And so many people are afraid of it, but I find that, I mean, it's different, you know, doing a class and obviously, you know, being in a movie, uh, but it, it, it's so, I don't know. There's just something so fun about it too, you know? Oh, it's hilarious. It's great fun. You know, and the other thing, the older I get, the more I understand, um, not the least of which there's that, and this is part of, always been part of my philosophy, as a human being, but the more I worked, the more I the more articulated it became, which is nobody will remember who won best actor five years ago. Nobody, you know, film, the old kind of film would disappear, would just crumble and go away. So it wasn't the actual film that was what was important. It was the quality of the experience that you had doing it. And I think that one of the reasons why I was always very successful as a director was because I really tried to create a quality of, an, of experience for my gang. And same thing in the class. The class wouldn't, I couldn't do the class if it wasn't fun. Yeah. Because all that's left is between you and I are the memories of the silly things that happened and the fun things that we happened, not a particular performance of a particular scene. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, they always say people don't remember what you do, what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. And you just had exactly. a knack for making people feel so special and so loved, especially if they weren't in their life. And I, I, I like, how do you do that? I want to be like you when I grow up. I don't know. I feel like it's a present God gave me. I, I have been this way since I was three years old. I literally, my, you know, my my father, who was a lawyer, asked me to show the partners in his law firm, how to make scrambled eggs. I was three and I went, oh, okay. First you take an egg and then you have a bowl. And I, I realized that anytime I learned anything really cool, the most fun I had was showing it to somebody else. Was saying, look at how cool this is. And I felt that way about when I finally, I worked very hard to learn about acting because there was so many bad teachers. And my, you know, I went on a quest to find the good teachers. And when I found the good teachers, I couldn't wait to tell my friends and my fellow actors about, wait, let me show you what really works. And, and because I just loved that for me, the most fun is, I have two things that I just love in the teaching. One is say, if I find something cool, is being able to show it to somebody else and have them enjoy it the way I do. Um, and the other thing is I, and it's gotten stronger and stronger, I really learned how to look at somebody. And, and in looking at the person when they were working, I knew how to give them all the acting stuff they needed, but I would see things that they also needed to make them feel good and whole. And the more good and whole they felt, the better the acting was. So I was always teaching on two levels. You know, you mentioned bad teachers and I almost got in touch with you because I, I one of the nice gifts about the pandemic is that all the classes went virtual. So even right. though I didn't live in LA, I left LA five years ago, I was able to study virtually, you know, with the groundlings. Cause my love is, I, I never really wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be an improvisational right. comedy yeah. actor. That's where my passion is. And I'm, believe it or not, I'm doing six classes a week now, three in That's person, great. three. I just love it. And, and like you say, it's not about the outcome. I'm not going to remember every scene, but like yeah. you know, from now but the doing it is so much fun the creating yeah 
of hearing yourself, of, of allowing yourself, and also without judgment. I learned more about acting because I was in the improvisational theater big time for four years. And um, I, I learned that what was going on in me at any given moment in time is much more important than any idea I had of what should be going on in me. So it was really great. It's like, it's like uh, being an athlete. You get to experience yourself. And as I said before, if you experience yourself in a class like that, everybody thinks you're wonderful. Whereas your parents might, you know, send you to your room or call the police (laughs) or whatever it is they would do. So so I wanted to ask you not so much about bad teachers, but why are there mean teachers? Because when I was taking the groundlings and I'm online and they, and like, I'm not trying to be like a groundling. I can't, I don't live there. We had a substitute and she like broke me. She broke my spirit. She was so mean and yelling at me that I didn't go back for a year. And I almost called you. I, had, I mean, why? And I reported it to the school, but it's like, they don't care. It's almost like they feel the meaner they are, the more you, they yell at you, the more you'll get it. And you were like the opposite. And so why do teachers do that when clearly it is not an effective teaching strategy to be yelling at somebody and humiliate them, you know? Uh, well, my, my belief is every teacher I've ever seen or heard of that was abusive knew, didn't know what acting was, didn't know how to teach it, substituted being abusive because they knew they were frauds. <laughs> and that's from the most... Biggest name you heard of to the smallest name you've heard of. They knew they were frauds. And, and I always went, right, I remember when I was in school at Carnegie, had a lot of bad teachers. I didn't even know how bad they were at the time. But I would say to them, um, you know, you have to tell me what I need to do to be a better actress. If I can't do it, it's no use to me. If you can't, and if you can't tell me how to do it, then you can't, you're not a teacher. Yeah. Oh, and, and then you're telling you, somebody that just saying you suck is not useful. How do I suck? Can you tell me specifically where I suck? Well, you know? not only that, but not, you may not have sucked. They may have said that, but you might not have sucked. That what they say, they, they just, you know, and also I was just talking because I've been teaching a lot at uh, a Vermont college there, um, MFA program in film, and the, I watch even teachers confuse whether they like a piece of work with whether it's any good. Uh-huh, yeah. So if it's not their cup of tea, they because they're the teacher, then they say it's bad, when actually it could be quite a good piece of work, but not your cup of tea. And then I loved, uh, there were all kinds of sayings that I picked up over the years. Is Stanley Kubrick said the best thing of all. He said, never be ashamed to show your work. There's always some dumb bastard who'll like it. See, you that's the thing. You have to get this book out because even your sayings, and that's so true. Even as a chef who comes with food, I'll make something that I think is subpar, but you're right. Some dumb bastard. Some bastard. Absolutely. Well, speaking of Joan Darlingisms, you have so many, but there's about, I wrote down 10 that I really remember from class. And, you know, I... We don't have to specifically talk about acne, but maybe you could tell our viewing audience how these Joan Darlingisms could help somebody just in their life. But first, I, I don't want to forget to show you this. This is one of my most treasured memories. This is the script from the Mary Tyler Moore episode, Chuckles the Clown. Oh, you signed to my husband, and we just cherish this. This oh, guy, if you haven't nice. seen it, it's available on YouTube. It's the episode that Joan Darling won the Emmy for. It is 
television. It's classic TV, really. Yeah. Cool. Nice. So let yourself laugh. That is one of the things you're always saying in class. And that was really the hallmark of the Mary Tyler Moore episode because she's laughing yeah, at her. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that applies in that uh, people think that it, in acting, I'll talk about it in acting first. People think that there's there's a specific behavior that goes with either the scene or the character. So they have to create inside themselves what they think is going on inside the character that results in that specific behavior. But that's only half of the human experience. And the example I use is, um, let's say you're playing a judge and you get the giggles, which is, quote, inappropriate for being a judge. A bad actor will just grit their teeth and change how they try to change how they feel. A good actor says, if a judge, if I'm a judge and I get the giggles, what would I do? I would try not to show it. I would cough. I, I would create all kinds of behavior would be created from my not judging um, what I'm feeling. And same thing is true in life. You, you, you're responsible for your actions. You're allowed to feel anything. You're allowed to feel anything. And I'll tell you a wonderful story. The teacher I had, who was a great teacher, who did me a great service many, many times. But early on in his class, I was playing a scene, a quote, a a love scene with a new boyfriend. And we were in, quote, my bedroom. And I had used a bench for for my bed. And I was on the bench talking to him. And in the middle of the scene, I fell off the bench. Well, I was a Carnegie Tech trained actress. So I knew you ignored it and that you got back on the bench and you pretended that nothing happened and you went on with the scene. So that's what I did. And at the end of the scene, Michael Howard, who was one of the great acting teachers of all time, he said to me, Joan, you fell off the bench. And I said, yeah, yeah, I know. He says, no, Joan. He said, you fell off the bench. And I said, well, he said, Joan. And by now he sounded really, like, really angry. You fell off the bench. And all of a sudden it was like this curtain lifted. And I went, oh my gosh, what a great opportunity I missed. Because if, Stanislavski, if, if I were with a new boyfriend and I fell off the bed, what would happen and what would I do? I'd feel stupid, I'd laugh, and I would get back on the bed and I'd try to be back to normal and try to get back to normal. I, by insisting that what was really going on with me wasn't right for the scene, I missed a moment that an audience could have adored, absolutely adored. You know why? Because we all fall off the bench. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this goes for life because a lot of people, they don't, they don't express what they're really feeling. And that leads to all kinds of problems. And they have all kinds of ideas about what they should be like. Some of which, if, if let loose in the world, are disastrous. They don't make sense. And they're, you know, it, and the thing you were talking about, I hate teachers who are cruel to their students. But I see so many of them because they don't know, they did not work, let's say, as hard as I did to find out what acting was and how you do it. 
And I would say, you know, if you go to an acting teacher and they tell you to do something and you say, well, how do I do that? And they can't tell you, then leave the class. I remember teaching at Carnegie years after I was a student there. And one of the kids said to me, well, I have a work, I have a problem with my vulnerability. And I said, oh, really? You know, what, how, so, well, the teachers tell me I need to work on my vulnerability. I said, okay, we'll, we'll do that. But first I want you to do what's called a personalizing exercise. And she did the personalizing exercise where she dealt with the other person in the class as if they were somebody who she cared about a lot. The other actor at one point said something very hurtful. And she started to cry. And I just sat there chuckling inside myself. And when she finished the scene, I said, so how's the vulnerability going? And she started to laugh. I said, the vulnerability comes from the experience you're having on the stage. You can't, you can't work on your vulnerability. What are you going to do? Throw yourself off a building? Stick a knife in your chest? <laughs> it's not possible. But you could put yourself into a situation with the act that we, the work we know about, that will place you where you're, where you are vulnerable. But then you also have to understand that you standing on the stage vulnerable is attractive. That's what the point I was trying to make before. All the things we're told are unattractive. Put them on the stage in a scene where they're right for the scene, and you get you win awards. Yeah, that's so brilliant. Is that the Emmy behind you, behind your right shoulder? Is that what yeah. I'm seeing? That's my Emmy. Nice. Say hello, Emmy. <laughs> that's beautiful. I love that. You know, another thing you also you all often said, and how maybe you can tell us how this applies to life, dance with who brung you. Dance <laughs> with who brung you. Well, <laughs> you know, it's like that's an old thing from um, football. Uh, as some football coach said that, meaning, if you are very good at one thing, like running or passing or something, then dance with who brought you, run and pass. If you're very good with, uh, uh, if you're very good with being angry in scenes because you have a lot of anger and you've never had permission to express it, then go do a lot of angry scenes. Mm -hmm. You know, dance with who brought you. Yeah, that can be really, I think it can be so therapeutic because like the way, that's what I love about improv is because you can, well, act, yeah. you can say things to, as your character that you could never get away with in real life. Right. And the, and the, and the point of, especially of improvising is the fun of discovering what it is you'd actually say in any set of given circumstances. Yeah. I, I loved improvising and I, was, I love, you know, I, I, I've been typing in the chat. I, I don't know if you see the live chat saying, Hey, yeah. if I set up a class for jo for Joni, would you guys take, you know, it would have to be probably a beginning class, but seriously, I, I really wish you'd consider I'm, I do this for my stand up comedy teacher. I'm good at, I'm good at organizing, getting people to do right. stuff you don't want to do. As soon as I, as a matter of fact, it's something I'm finally ready to do because um, I'm, I have uh, the Sundance, uh, workshop, the director's lab in the beginning of June, which I've got a whole grunt load of work to do up getting ready for that and ready for something else I'm doing. Once that's out of the way, I thought I was going to set up a class. So I would, I love that. I might just, um, I've already got the zoom. I, it's it, the, my zoom yeah. is paid for, for in ad infinitum 500. I'm very good at this tech part. I've, so let's really revisit it. Yeah, I, 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 
I'd especially love it because, you know, a couple of times you did teach an improv class just for fun. It wasn't your main, main jam. You liked the scene study, but those were really, really fun when you did fun. I love them. And I, when I was an improviser, I was, I learned to be even more impossible than I am because I remember, uh, I'll just tell you one story, but there was a guy named Buck Henry, who was very, very wonderful comedy writer who won, uh, who won an Academy Award for Noel Kidman with a script he wrote that she did. And he created, um, uh, oh God, what was the, uh, Get Smart and a whole bunch of big time things like that. And Buck and I were in improvisational theater. And when, when it, we were doing a scene on stage and it was the, the setting was the zoo. So I started jumping around, scratching and climbing up things. And, and Bucks walked over and looked at me and he said something like, um, he said, well, that's very cute. And I, and I just said, thank you very much. And he went, you talk? And I said, yeah, I talk. And he says, well, what are you? Are, are, you, are you a monkey? I said, no. He said, are, are you a chimpanzee? I don't know. He says, and he said, well, what are you? And without thinking, I said, I'm the gorilla of your dreams. And the two of the audience went, what? <laughs> and the two of us started laughing. We just stood there on the stage laughing. We couldn't stop laughing. Well, I it was because I had really been practicing allowing whatever was actually there to come up. And 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 I'm, I'm such a wise guy, you know. That, that was what happened. And the audience couldn't believe I'd made that joke. This is one of the really old, hoary jokes of all time. Wow. That's something. I love that. You know, another thing you said, which I thought was hilarious, is the problem with doing nothing is that you <laughs> never know when you're done. Right. I have to give credit for that to Eric Darling, <laughs> who was my ex-husband and best friend for my whole life. And Eric, I heard him say that he was giving a concert and he was tuning his guitar because somebody had opened a door in the back. And when air hits uh, his banjo, when air hits banjo strings, they just go crazy out of tune. So he started retuning his banjo to go on with the, the thing. And he was retuning and listening and tuning and listening. And he looked up and said, the trouble with doing nothing is you don't know when you're done. And I thought that was the most smart answer because it, it, the way it resonates in teaching and in, in working on something is if you don't, if you, if you're not doing anything, you're never going to move into a place where you're going to learn anything. You're just going to be, and also it's, it kind of manifests in all kinds of psychology, which is people who say, you know, if you do something over and over again that doesn't work and you keep doing it over and over again, then you're crazy because it's never going to work. You have to do something else. But when Eric said that, I just, I just thought I felt like you, I said that that's a great phrase. And we would see people in class who would sort of do, they'd keep trying every week, hoping that I was wrong, <laughs> that they, they would keep trying something that wasn't going to work. And they already knew wasn't going to work. And they would, but they, I would let them try it until they realized no matter how many times they tried it, it wasn't going to work. I didn't have to tell them that. They figured it out. Yeah, I love it. That, that is a great, you should have actually a calendar, one, one of these per month. Okay, <laughs> this, was, this was kind of funny. And this is actually really good advice for life. You actually would say this on the first day. 
You can do anything you want, but don't hurt yourself, another person, or the furniture. Right. Right. And I think that's the ground rules for life. Yeah, that really is. Absolutely the ground rules for life. You do not have the right to hurt somebody else. You're stupid if you hurt yourself. And it's expensive to hurt the furniture. So. <laughs> I love that you used to say that. And that, and that, that really is it. You know, that, that if people would just follow that, it's almost like the golden rule in a way. I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. And I, and Abby, I don't understand people who enjoy hurting other people. I mean, I genuinely don't know what is the pleasure in that. What is, what, do, what does somebody get out of hurting somebody else? And, and this, you know, the way the world is now, there's so much meanness in the world. And I don't understand why, what, what satisfaction somebody gets over dictating somebody else's life or saying harmful things to them. I don't, I truly don't get it yeah. inside myself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this one actually, I think is really helpful. How bad do you want it? I actually quoted you in one of my first books because you used to say that all the time because people would say, Joan, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? Can I be a star? Blah, blah, blah. And you'd always say that. I think that applies to anything in life. Anything. Absolutely. You can learn anything you want to learn. And I remember I would say to people ask me, well, how did you learn to act? And I said, I threw myself on the floor and tried everything. And I went on a quest for acting teachers. Every time I heard about it, I see somebody do a good performance. This is when I was in New York. I'd always go, Who, who's your teacher? And I would, and I got to three of the best teachers that ever existed in this country. Michael Howard was one. Milton Caselis was another. And, um, uh, and a guy named um, Warren Robertson, who, who was just a fabulous teacher. Oh, is, that, is that Kara's father? That's Kara's father. Nice. That's how they met Kara. Oh, wow. Yeah. So and that's cool. the people from Warren's class. I had taught in New York for him in, in, in his studio. We were best friends. We used to go to lunch at noon and talk about acting and, and theater and film. And we'd look at our watches before in the afternoon. We were still talking. But he was a fabulous teacher. Oh. You know, I've worked with people on improving their health and weight loss for so many years. And really, of course, there's things they have to do, but really all, it often comes down to how bad they want it because the people right. that really, really want it will find a way. The people that don't will find an excuse. Right, right. Talk to me. Yeah. Well, that's a conversation that I wanted to have with you. <laughs> yeah. but, but I think though with, with acting, you know, I mean, it's not, I mean, it, 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 but just wanting it isn't enough, right? You have to have a little yeah. bit of, of you know, yeah, yeah. skill or talent under your belt, or, or is it, is it just luck? You know, you wonder when you think about how many people, I mean, you must, you've been teaching what, 50 years now? Oh, at least. Yeah. I started, I started teaching when I was 18. So that's uh, 70 years, 70 years. Yeah. And you must have had literally thousands of people in your class, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of them. You know? And so you've seen a lot of people. I mean, now we have people that were in your class that have won Academy Awards, multiple Academy Awards. So what, what separates the rubber from the road? Is it, I mean, is, is, is it talent? Is it, I mean, is it luck? What is it? Are you like, what do you think? That's such a, for me, I mean, that's such an interesting question. Because I'll tell you something that I think about a lot and then I talk about with people. I wanted to be an actress. 
And I wanted to win an Academy Award for acting from the time I was three or four or five years old. Okay. Now, these are the things that happened to me as an actress. I, I finally got a great part um, that was in a, in a show called The Defenders that was directed by Bill Ball, who was a good friend of mine and who ran ACT in San Francisco and who had big hit shows on Broadway, Tartuffe, et cetera. And he cast me in this part and it was one of these great bravura parts. And I did the part and I got letters from people I didn't even know in California saying what an incredible performance it was and how I was going to win the Emmy and they were going to make sure I got nominated. And in those days, the Emmy was kind of new enough that if you won one, that really made your acting career. That would, you would really start getting work after that. So I was thought, oh boy, maybe I finally done it. And um, what happened was that particular year, the Emmys decided not to give Emmys for performances. They gave one to Barbara Streisand. They gave one to Leonard Bernstein. So this thing that I had achieved that should have gotten me all this work, nothing happened from it. Then the next one, I mean, I, there's a whole bunch of these. Then I did something with Steven Spielberg directing where I played the wife of a golfer who was dying. And it got incredible reviews. What was that called? What, what was it? That was that a movie? Of course. It was an hour-long TV show. It was the second thing he ever directed. I would love to see that. Well, I, so I saw, I. I and saw I, some I, clips of you. You were very good as an actress. I, I'm not just saying this. I saw some clips of you. Maybe it was from The Defenders, but you were like a little spitfire. <laughs> they're, they're probably The Defenders. But what happened was that got on the air. And the night that it got on the air, the next day, it got just spectacular reviews, as did I. And the film disappeared. I couldn't get a copy of it. Steven Spielberg, who directed it, couldn't get a copy of it. Since Scheinberg, the head of the studio, it was made, they couldn't find it. It has been lost for years. It's finally, somebody finally found it in the Museum of Broadcasting. But there was another piece of film that if I'd had it, I could have sent it out with my agent. It would have led to a lot more work. Okay, that's the second thing. Now I'm doing a play in New York. And I got to tell you, Abby, I'm really good in this play. And we're, doing, we're working in the theater building. Uh, on 44th Street that the city owned that was all theaters. It was like about seven stories. Our theater was on the fourth floor. I was really, I knew I had this, this was really one of my best pieces of work. And a week before the show opened, the um, elevator broke. So the critics wouldn't walk up the stairs to see the show. So barely anybody saw me in it. Everybody saw me in it, so it was great, but nobody that would have really helped my career move forward. And then, what was the next one? Um, there, were, there were two others like that. Uh, and I'll, I'll probably think of them, but the things where, where I really nailed something, and if anybody had seen it, it would have moved my career forward. So, but I was still doing okay. You know, I was on the series and everything. So I went to, and the series was winding down. And I went to Norman Lear. Oh, I know what it was. I came in second for Rhoda on Mary Tyler Moore. Valerie 
got the part and I was their second choice. So I didn't get Rhoda. Now I go to see Norman Lear and I say to him, listen, um, I want to do a movie starring me where I play Golda Meir from the time she's 16 to 60. And nobody had done anything about her till then. And I'd worked out the whole story. I told him the story. He listened and he said, that's very interesting. And he said, I want you to tell that to somebody else. And he called in his assistant at the time, Al Burton. And I told Al Burton my idea for the Golden My Ear movie. And Norman said to Al, I think she's the one. And he said, you're right. I think, I think you're right. And he said, how would you like to be a director? And I said, I'm not a director. And I, you know, He said, well, that's what I think you really are. So he gave me the Mary Hartman scripts. Now, if I had gotten Rhoda, I never would have been a director. If I had won that Emmy, I never would have been a director. If, the, if I became a Broadway star, I never would have been a director. So I started to think, why is that? Uh, it was like the universe had decided or needed me to establish the idea that a woman could direct. So I feel like there was a destiny. And also having taught for so long, I really knew how to create performances with actors. And I also knew a lot about story. But you think about all the near misses in my acting career, any one of which, if they'd happened, I'd never have been a director. Yeah, so, I think a lot of times life has to happen for you right. to back and see because I you know I, we were talking right before we logged on of some unfortunate things that may have happened to me but if 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 not if this then not this but you can't always know when you're in the when you're in it you have no idea no idea. looking back sometimes the worst thing is the best thing that ever happened exactly. to you and and it's like I, I you know I sort of I sort of half believe this or I don't I can't say that I I I, I simultaneously I believe it and I don't believe it is actually what it is but somebody or something sent me here to open the door for women directors because I was the perfect personality for that. One, I had two older brothers, so I never took any nonsense from men as anything other than just silly, you know, and I was not intimidated for me. I knew right from the beginning when this is something I say in my class that as a director, my ethics is to the story, not whether people like me, not whether people don't like me. My job is to make the story happen. That's what I'm being paid for. And that's my ethics is to the story. Well, having had that attitude, nobody could really push me around. If I had no shame, the first one camera show I did, the uh, cinematographer didn't want to give me the shot I wanted. And I kept insisting on it. Finally, I went and called the producer. I wasn't embarrassed. I said, I'm down here. I know the shot I want. I can't get him to give it to me. And it's 11 o'clock. The producer came down. And by God, I had every shot I wanted from that moment on. A lot of people wouldn't have done that because they would have said, oh, my God, I'm admitting I can't do it. Well, I knew it wasn't my fault I was, wasn't getting the shot. I know whose fault it was. It was the cinematographer's. And I, I didn't have any shame about it at all. And and I was so, and I also you well you know me really well that the joke comes first always, and with me and I was um, I was the first time I directed at Universal where they had the real old timey crews men male crews 
the first day uh, before we started work, I had the AD call the whole crew over for a meeting. And what I said in the meeting was, um, I just want to tell you one thing. I will get you out in time for Monday night football. <laughs> and from that moment on, there wasn't anything that those guys wouldn't do for me. But see, I, I had that right kind of personality. I liked having fun and I liked guys. I liked men. And I was not, you know, an idiot who if somebody said something to me that was either insulting or sexual, if somebody said something sexual to me, I, I thought, well, that's nice. They must like me. Not, oh, my God, I'm going to die. They said something sexual to me. It was like, you know, two older brothers and I knew how to handle men. That's funny. One I, of the, like them. I like men. You used to say, try and pick up a pencil. And sometimes you would throw a pencil. Right. <laughs> How can that help people with life? The, the saying, try to pick up a pencil. There's a difference between trying and picking it up. If you say try to pick it up, they can't do that because you can't try. You either pick it up or you don't. Right. And so if you don't pick it up, then you might exercise your brain to figure out how to get it off the floor and into your hand. But if you're sitting saying, I tried and I tried and I couldn't do it. Well, keep trying and you won't do it. That's funny. That is funny. What's this chicken for your forehead? Where did that come oh, from? I love that. Well, it's my favorite story to tell. When I was a little girl, I went to a progressive school. And in the first grade or wherever it was, uh, if you got an A on your paper, instead of them giving you a gold star to stick on the paper, they would give you one of these little decals of a chicken. So I used to, instead of sticking the chicken on my paper and bringing it home and showing it to my mother, I would stick it on my forehead. And then I would walk home from school and stand on street corners like this. So people could see that I had a chicken on my forehead. So I feel that whenever somebody does something really good in class, I give them a chicken for their forehead. As a matter of fact, if I you know, write the book or if I wanted to name for my school, it would be the Chickhead School of Acting. That's funny. I'm going to look on, on online and see if they actually have chicken stickers and I'm going to send some. Okay. You can all start wearing that. This is hilarious. One of the live viewers is asking, has your teaching methodology changed over the years? Uh, yeah, it changed in one particular way. One was my search for information, which led me to knowing at least the proper techniques for acting. But then I had been teaching for maybe about nine years or so one day, and I was sitting in class and I realized I'm looking at a scene and I'm ticking off in my head what I know. Oh, they need a personalization over here. This, the the their relationship to the so such and such theater isn't specific. Uh, they're not really trying to get the person to love them. I would run. I could run. All, I could run all the things. And I thought, well, now wait a minute. I know all that. So what would happen? I mean, can always say some of that. But what would happen if I watched the scene just to see what I saw, not to see? Oh, they need this. They need that. They said, but to actually see what was happening in front of me. And when I started doing that, then I got what a lot of people would call very psychic about what was going on. I would be able to see in a person things that, that just were there, but because I wasn't looking 
for anything else or trying to make sure I had something smart to say, I would see so much more. Um, and like I taught a class for Milton one day and there was a girl who came in early and uh, came in after and did a scene and all she did was cry. And the scene wasn't about crying, but all she did was cry. And I had been watching, watching, watching. And I said to her, you know, I have like a, a, a famous guess for you. And a famous guess is when I think I've seen something, but it's perfectly possible I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, my telling it to you, you might realize what it is I'm talking about when I'm not really, I only know it's there, but I don't know what it is. And I said to her, I have the feeling that you were not playing the story of the scene at all, but that somebody really hurt you badly around your acting. And, and you're using the scene to cry about having been treated so badly. And I said, and here's what I think you should do. You need to find scenes where the character is feeling badly about having been treated badly and do lots and lots and lots of them. And then pick a scene where that's not the case and, and then act that scene. But right now you want to cry and you're going to take any scene you do and you're going to make it into that. So why don't you just take scenes where to work? Yeah. Okay. Cut to intermission. Somebody comes. Now, don't forget, I didn't know this class at all. I walked in cold because Milton had come, was asked me to subs for him. I walked in cold and this person came up to me and said, how did you know? And I said, how did I know what? They said, this particular girl had gone to an acting class where the teacher had started an affair with her and really abused her, was very abusive to her. And he showed up at the theater before class started. I said, I don't know how I know, but I could see it. And that changed my, that really changed my uh, uh, directing and my uh, teaching. Because like, for instance, so I'll be watching a scene in a, that I'm shooting and the character isn't quite getting as far into the despair that that's, I can see going on in them. And I, I, I'm not even thinking that consciously. I just look at them and I say, if when they finish this line, they just lean forward onto their knees. If they just go like that, something great's going to happen. So I'll say to the actor, look, uh, listen, when this moment comes, don't act it, don't do anything about it, but just do it physically. Lean forward and put your hands on your knees and bang, it always happens. I did it in London with a group of actors that I was teaching. They were like, how did you do that? How did you know? Or I'll look at an actor and say, run up to the corner and back and then we'll do the scene. And I will know that that will unlock them. All kinds of things like that. Do you think that some people are attracted to the art, specifically acting, because they want to work out their emotional stuff? Absolutely. I mean, what better place to do it? The other thing they're attracted to is like being psychologists, which, of course, is not quite a very good thing because that's not the place for them to work out their stuff. That's the place to help somebody else. But, yeah, I think the actors do it because they want to have all their feelings. And I feel that's a huge sentence. They want to have all their feelings. 
and life doesn't allow them to have all exactly. their exactly people especially men you know they're not allowed to grieve or cry yeah. or be sad that's so because i always wondered like do people do it for the art or do, are they seeking fame or maybe a little of both all of it all of that's a part of it but i think uh, the biggest thing is uh the ones that really stay with it stay like i think you loved acting because you knew if you stuck with me and working on it that you were going to somehow dissolve the things that were in your way and i remember talking to you uh at when i got one of those flashes you were trying to figure out i think how to how to live on your own and all kinds of stuff and i looked at you and i said you know what you should do <laughs> as i would say i said you love dogs right and you said yeah I said, why don't you see if you can make money as a dog walker? And I then, walking Michael J. Fox's dogs. You can't yeah. get better than that, you know? But what happened was like two or three weeks later, you had a little business going. Yeah. But it was what it was, was I was just putting together things I knew about you that that weren't making you be some kind of conventional, like, why don't you get a secretary's job? You know, why don't you be a secretary? Oh, you what you wanted to do was to be with dogs, so why not make money at it? Yeah, maybe I could be an acting teacher for dogs or something. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because you attracted such lovely people in your class. And what I, I you know, I, the thing about what I love about improv is, is every scene is different. With with right. scenes, you gotta like you gotta memorize it, and then you might have to do it again, and it's not as fun after the first time. But I always like the process of getting together with the person, rehearsing like that. That to me, like that was like the party, like that was the funnest part. Yeah. And you attracted, you know, like attracts like. And so I, I mean, I have such warm feelings about so many the people in your class mm. and you know if you don't mind one of it's really funny because you were booked on this show just because I had just had Elaine Lelaine on and whenever I have people that are older and thriving my right. audience loves it and she's like 97 and I said you know I've got to get Joan back and then you were booked on the show. We were originally going to, we we're going to do it yesterday on your actual birthday. And then you had some plans. And then what happened as an interesting, really thing is I was talking to Josh Lozoff, who I still remain oh, in contact with from your class about something. And he said, Oh, are you, this, he, this was the Monday after the Oscars. He goes, are you texting me? Because Joan was mentioned at the Oscars. And I'm like, Joan was mentioned in the Oscars. Now here's the thing. I gave up television in 2018, quite accidentally. When I moved away from LA, my husband had to stay for three months. I didn't have TV. And after not watching it for three months, I got out of the habit. And the you know, as my TV viewing went down, my income and my productivity went up. So I kind of, it's not that I never watch a show on Netflix, but I don't have television anymore. And I'm like, I don't have TV. So I went and I went and paid to, to, to be able to watch the Oscars a day late just to see this clip. And I want you to, I want to, um, I want you to watch this clip from the Oscars and I want to know, I'm going to figure out how to pull this up. Oh God, screen share. Um, it, I'm assuming you did see the Oscars, right? Yeah. Okay. So let me find the clip where you were mentioned. I mean, to me, that was like the most exciting part of the show. I was like screaming. I was jumping up and down. How do I get this to play? I'm not the best with screen share. Let's see if this is it. Uh, can you see this, Joni? Like it's a little, can you see a little square? I think so. Yeah. So, Okay, so tell me what you think of this. Okay, I had I had a fantasy as a kid of winning an award and, and going up and telling off all the teachers that gave my brother and I detention. So here goes. Uh, I'm just kidding. These are teachers that changed my life. Most of them public school teachers. Ms. Dumeier, Mr. Tool, Mr. Hudson. 
this, uh, Mr. Chambers, Madame George, Miss NFL, Ken Cheeseman, Mirta Tochi, Joan Darling, and Edith Hallman. Uh, you guys educated me, you inspired me, uh, and you taught me to be less of a butthead. Your turn. How did it feel to hear that? Were you expecting it? Well, I kind of knew that they had, they'd won the DGA award, best director. And I knew that they had thanked me there. And then somebody else told me that they did a screening at um, the DGA itself. And in uh, the course of the Q&A, uh, they asked them and they uh, about the working on it. And they talked about Sundance, what, you know, Sundance. And they said, and Joan Darling. And they so the person from DGA said, well, what did Joan Darling say to you? And you'll love this. <laughs> they said, they said that they learned that what they learned was that directing, when you were directing, you weren't a general, you were giving a party. You were the host at a party. And your job was to make all of the people, the right down to the craft service person, make them have fun and to uh to get them to a place where everybody felt really good about themselves so they could do their best work. Um, and that, I loved that. So I kind of knew that there was a possibility that they would uh, mention me. Um, but what I loved about it was they got what you've been talking about. They got the essence of me, the thing that's most important to me, which is that there, the what I say now, one of my new sayings is, What's important about making a film is not the film. It's the quality of the experience that you provide for yourself and the other people. That's what lasts. Yeah. That lasts in everybody who participated in it. Well, they, those guys and I really understood each other. They were as insane as I was. <laughs> and we, we got along extremely well. Um, and, but I felt like they had picked up the essence of what I think about really anything that you do, you know, every, here lies, there's a poem I read when I was 14, which really got to me, which was here lies Ozymandias, king of kings, look upon his works, ye mighty and despair. Well, the poem is about wandering in the desert and seeing a pile of sand and brushing the sand away and finding this statue with that sentence on it. And in that moment, I realized that fame, all of that just disappears. Time takes care of it. So what's important then? What it, the quality of the experience that I provide for myself, the quality of the experience that I provide for all the people who are my chickens, mm. all the people working on my show. And there's no distinction between somebody who's a gopher for pencils and somebody playing the lead. They're mm. all my chickens. and. And our job is to create a, an experience that is a joy. Yeah, yeah, that, and that that again is a lesson for life because I read a book once called "The No Asshole Rule," and in one that he said, <laughs> "You can judge the quality of a person by how they treat the person of lowest status when no one is looking." Watching. That's great. Yeah. Because everybody can like pretend to be nice when somebody's watching, but that always yeah, yeah it, it's it's you, you know. Did did he call you up afterwards or did you call him up afterwards? Well, I had written to him when I heard about the DGA award. I'd written, I'd written to, well, when I heard that they, uh, that they'd won it. 
I wrote to them and then somebody told me they had thanked me. I wrote to them and just told them how glad I was because I, I adore them. They're just mad as hatters and great fun and wonderful, wonderful human beings. And you could tell that what I loved the best about it was anytime anybody who was connected with that film talked about it or was on a talk show, you could feel what nice people they were, how much fun they had. And I was thinking about when the editor won the award, I thought, oh, there's another really nice person. And then when the producer came up and I thought, there's a really nice person. And the two Dan's created that. They created an experience. And what I, Abby, really loved about it was they created a positive experience for everybody working with them. Yeah. Out of that, they created a, a wonderful, crazy, positive ending experience of film. And the world responded to it. They responded to something positive. And that's so rare now. But look at the response. It was like everybody was so relieved to, to see something. See, and I think the most ordinary person will look at a piece of film and they will sense what the quality of the experience was. And another show, everybody wondered, you know, was Ted Lasso came on and everybody was, That's oh my. such a good show. I love oh that show. God. And everybody said, well, how come this show was doing so well? And I said, because everybody's very hungry for good-hearted material. And yeah. if you, you couldn't have a more good-hearted show than Ted Lasso. Do you watch Extraordinary Attorney Wu? No, let me write it down. Oh my God, that's the show I'm in love with right now. It's best to watch it in the Korean subtitles, not the dubbing, but I don't know. You know, I love I love shows that you, look, I'm wearing a heart, you know, I yeah. I, mean, I wore it for you today. You know, do, do you ever, because you've had so many people in your class, do you ever like think to yourself, this one's going to be, you know, win the Oscar? Do, do, do you ever have those thoughts? I'm sure you don't want to share them with the people because, you know, that could be devastating if like, hey, you're never going to amount to anything, but you know. I've I mean. never had that feeling about anybody. I, that they're not going to amount to anything. Tell me the name of the show. Extraordinary Attorney Wu on Netflix. It's about the first autistic lawyer. And uh, she's just, the show just just grabbed me by the heart. And I just love it so much. I can't, I am just love it. Makes me feel so, it's, she's just precious. Uh, and that's on yeah. Netflix. So. There's a lot of people here are saying, I want to be one of Joan's peeps, which is why I'm going to try to set <laughs> up with her that's, that's beginning. And you can see she, that, that was the thing. Even if you're beginning, when I took Joan's class, there was Academy Award nominated actress Ann Archer in the class. I mean, you could be, she had a seven-year-old child. She takes everybody at every level. She takes you where they are. So do you ever think it's too late for people though, that that are that have a hankering for get, either getting into show business or just getting in, just doing this, not necessarily to be famous or make money, but just wanting to do it. I, I absolutely think people can do it in their living room once a week just for fun. Yeah. Um, but do I think, is it ever too late? Of all of the businesses where it's never too late, uh, acting is one of them. Look at the guy who's almost the, the uh, uh, fellow, uh, the Asian guy in um, um, uh, Everything Everywhere. Uh He's almost 100 years old. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And because there's always a part for it. Or if there isn't, then you can write something for yourself. Or if there isn't, it's like, it's sort of like you. You you like the acting, you like the performing, but you found something to do that totally suits you. It combined the two things you loved, 
which was the intrigue of what acting is like and performing is like, and your awareness of food and the value of it. And then you're a teacher. Yeah, I am a teacher and I'm a good teacher because of you, because it's so funny because I'm not that great of a human in general, but when I have my teaching (laughs) hat on, it's like I'm channeling you because I'm so kind and I'm so understanding. And I I don't do, uh, I'm not a director of movies, but I produce conferences. I've done 20 health conferences. Is. And when I'm the host or the producer, it's like, you know, the AV guy is as important yeah. as the guy that cleans up. It's like, there's no, I, I never like, I, I, I always hated hierarchy in life, but you yeah. know, you know, treating one person better or paying them more. So I, I think I, I, I learned that all from you. You know, it's really interesting, Joni, because when when he mentioned your name at the Oscars, the first thought I had was, oh, she's probably smiling. But I also thought that, you know, you've had thousands of students and most of them, you know, probably aren't going to win Oscars. Let's face it. Most people don't. But I I started thinking about that you still influence them and how much you meant to them. And so what I did was a little bit of digging and I, I found a few people and uh, here's what they have to say about you. Oh, Watch this video. Happy birthday, Joni. I'm so happy to be here celebrating you today. And I was so thrilled at the Oscars when Daniel called out, Joan Darling, you deserve it. You, of course, deserved it all these years. I love you. Have a great day. Thank you, AJ, for inviting me. Uh, I'm Judy Kerr. And... I became Joan Darling's class secretary in 1975 and followed her on the set and got to work with her. She's been my mentor since then. I love you. (laughs) Is it too late to join the Joan Darling party? It's Laura Summer. Happy, happy birthday, Joan. Love you so much. Where the hell would I be if you didn't teach me about life? love and acting too many many more love you so much hi Joni this is Tidbally Cousineau and I wanted to wish you a happy birthday um, on this momentous birthday and I wanted to thank you for all of the magnificent gifts that you've given me Um, you have meant so much to me Uh, I started with you in 1995 and then got scared for a couple of years and and waited to come back. And um, what you taught me was how to be less self-critical. And you taught me how to be more alive than I had ever been in my life before. And then when you helped me with my thesis, It was so important to me and so special that we were able to spend time together and I was able to interview you um, about being an artist and the creative process. And um, so you helped me graduate and I'm now a therapist. And I wanted to read you a quote that came from my thesis from you. Nothing is more healing than being an artist. Not only do you become self-accepting, but you really become accepting of the universe. I hear your voice all the time, and you're really one of my guiding mentors in my work. 
I love you. I am so grateful for the gift that you are to me and so many others. Thank you. My name is Peter Gosdog. I studied with Joan from 2014 to 2020 and hope to continue to do so when you're coming back to the coast, Joan. <laughs> and one of the things that stuck with me uh, that Joan said, which I think is really characteristic of her teaching and approach, is that getting anyone to work with you in this field or business industry is like when you're a kid getting someone to play with you in the sandbox. So in that spirit, I wish you many more years in the sandbox, Joan. Happy birthday. Hi, Joni. Happy birthday. This is Sandy Johnson. Um, I've been studying with you since the Sundance Lab that I took in 2019. Um, and I just, I, you mean so much to me. I remember in the very first class, in the very first lab, you said something like, um, the job of the director is to help everybody else be successful. And I feel like you do that every day with every person that you work with. You help us all find success in whatever way that means, but most importantly, to feel like successes. And um, you've just been such a gift in my life. Happy birthday. I love you so much. Hey, Joni, happy birthday. It's Wendy Anderson. I spent our times together at Sprint DC with you and Bill and Joan and Melissa, our dinners at the ends of the conferences with all that great conversation. Um, I am happily settled out here in LA, making lots of friends in the industry, keeping up with my writing and my projects. And I know you're doing the same. Um, learned so much from you at Script DC and often tell folks about you and the things that, uh, that we got up to together in your workshops and conversations and everything that I learned. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful new year. Love you, Joni. Bye-bye. Happy birthday, Joan. <laughs> Hope you have for your presence. Thank you for all your help with everything. Happy, happy birthday, Joni. You have been in my life for over 40 years. A long time ago, a student asked you, what will I do when I no longer have your voice guiding me? And you said, don't worry, my voice will go with you and eventually it will become your own voice. Because of your voice, I'm a teacher, a director, and I sing in my own band. You taught me to be kinder to myself. You taught me that I meant to teach and I meant to sing. <laughs> I told you how much I love to sing, but I'm terrified for anyone to ever hear me. And you said, and I said, what's wrong with me? And you said, you're just protecting something that you love from harm. And you made a safe place for me to sing in class. And you never said there was anything wrong with me. And that's why we love you, Joan Darling. Hey, it's your kid. <laughs> Happy birthday. And on this day, which is also the end of my semester at Adler, all five of my classes this week heard about you as is my way. And I told them how you always inspired us, inspired me to trust ourselves, to value who we were, to value and hang on to our take on the world, whatever it might be, and above all, to keep our imaginations alive and don't edit ourselves. And as you know, it saved my ass. <laughs> so I love you very much. And uh, you and the big guy go out and, uh, 
get in trouble. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. As you can see, this is Carolyn Kimball, Kim Holmquist, still singing and uh, missing, missing you a, a lot. I remember so clearly our wonderful classes that I took in the 90s with both my daughter, Kirsten, and my dear, dear partner, Clement Blake. Uh, I was happy to read, to hear on Abby's recording of you that you worked with Howard Storm. And he, this is a picture of Clem. The last play that he did was opposite Howard, the play that Howard wrote. And so it was nice to know that we had that other connection. What I remember most about your class is how kind you were to everybody. No matter what level, you treated everybody the same with such respect. Having been in a class where it was the break them down and make them feel terrible, I can't tell you what it meant to be appreciated. And I was so thrilled when I would watch people who really weren't that great, but you still, you didn't destroy them, you built them up. And that is my very favorite memory. Happy birthday, Joni. It's Matt Fonda. How are you? I am so excited to be a part of this little Zoom uh, party that we're getting together that, that AJ has done. It's so awesome. Say, I wanted to tell you three things, three areas of my life that you, you affected me in a in big way. First of all, I think my acting got better. I do. <laughs> now I know that I can sit in a circle, I can spin like crazy, tell you what I'm spinning about and who I'm spinning for. I'm still spinning. <laughs> Secondly, I turned your class into a singing class. And we had so much fun with that. And you gave me a great piece of advice. You said, for God's sake, open up your eyes. You know how you sound. <laughs> Don't ignore your audience. What a great thing to say. I'm still singing. And thirdly, my golf game improved. <laughs> I was playing with you and Bill in Santa Fe. And you said, for God's sake, just visualize the shot from the beginning to the end and let sense memory take over. I turned into a pretty good golf pitcher. I'm wishing you the happiest birthday. I, you always said, you always said your voice would go with me. Clearly, it has always gone with me. It always will. And I hope that you just build from here on this momentous birthday. Thanks, Joni. Bye-bye. Love you. Hi, Joni. Happy birthday. It's Linda Laporto. Um, you have no idea how often I think about you, how grateful I am for all you taught me. Your, your mentoring. I remember our little coffee chats where you talk about life in general. And um, I just, I miss you. I miss you. And um, I just, I want the world for you. I, I hope you're happy. And um, just wanted to send my love and gratitude. And um, happy birthday. <laughs> A happy, happy, happy birthday, Joni. Um, I met Joan Darling when I was 19, 19 years old. I'm about to be 44, so I've known you a long time. Um, I was just a young actor. I needed all the help that I and encouragement that I can get. And I really found a home with you, Joan, in your classes. And uh, you just attracted all these amazing artists uh, into your world. 
So it's hard to narrow down what you taught us <laughs> because you taught me so much about acting and so much about life. You're not only my favorite acting teacher, you're my favorite teacher that I've ever, ever had. Um, and even though I took long breaks away from class, I would always find my way home uh, for a checkup. So if I maybe just had to pinpoint one thing, you one favorite Joniism used to say, hey, the problem with doing nothing in your scene is that you never know when you're done. So stuff like that, even in the industry now, is just always swirling around my head. Uh, so thank you for all these years of encouragement and support. Thank you for pouring into all of us. And um, you've just helped so many artists along the way and on their journey um, discover and remember what they love about acting. So uh, happy, happy, happy birthday. I love you and uh, chicken for your forehead. All right, Joan, we're going to go down memory lane, and I'm going to take you back to 1978, NBC Studios in Burbank, California, where you shot the pilot of a series called His Honor. <laughs> there I am, just a mere 45 years ago. I'll never forget the day I auditioned for you. I was absolutely terrified. I walked into the office. You told me to get behind this big desk. I was reading for the role of David Huddleston's secretary. So I started answering the phone as the secretary and I pushed all the buttons, Mayor Cooper's office, please hold, Mayor Cooper's office, please hold. <laughs> These were calls that were actually coming in the NBC. Anyway, here's what you don't know. For 40 years, I had this fantasy that I would win some sort of award or something and I would be able to get up and say, I'd like to thank Joan Darling who gave me my first opportunity, who believed in me before I believed in myself. And that's what I get to do today. I have no idea what career I might've had had you not come into my life. I am so grateful to you. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much and happy birthday. Hi, my name is Estes Carver. I studied with Joan uh, from about 2005 on perpetually hopefully for the rest of my life uh joan uh is the most i don't know i don't have the words honestly she unlocked me creatively as an actor and has been a lifelong friend of mine that i will cherish for the rest of my life um and i i i, I just can't say enough things about her positive energy and who she is and 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 how many dots she has connected for me as an artist and a person uh as importantly um and i wish you a huge happy birthday lady chicken for your forehead big time love you so much talk to you soon um oh hello joey i still have my notes from 1995 1996 and 1997 these are some of the pearls that you taught me and that i live by today which this one oh don't let the business let you give up the performer in you boy i'm dealing with that today uh, the most important thing as an artist is to practice renewal now besides you i don't really expect others to know what i'm talking about when i say I've got a chicken on my forehead. <laughs> but during the recent pandemic, I was working with Eric Morris online, and he knew exactly what I meant when I said, dance with who brought you. So here's my notes from class Sunday, 19, 
95 February, Catherine, all you need to do to make your acting work consistently at its highest level is to remind yourself to tell the truth. You have plenty to tell the truth about. You know who you are. You know who the people are. You know what the truth is for you. Find places in the middle of the scene where you stop, you can put your head down and tell the truth. And when you have all of that in as specifically as you have, then you can relax and look at us and tell the truth. Thank you, Joan. Darling. Here's, it is, here's my song. Are you ready? Here we go. Happy, happy birthday, happy, happy birthday, happy, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday to you, ooh, ooh. happy birthday to you, ooh, ooh. happy birthday, dear Joan, happy birthday to you, voila. <laughs> Thanks so much for everything. Nice to see you. Here we go. I'm Carol White, Carolina White. I studied with you, 1976 is when I started. You taught me more about acting and how to relax before I had to work. You have saved my life and more times than I'd like to count. And also working for you on Mary Hartman as Nurse Pudney, <laughs> one of the fine highlights of my whole career. I wish you many, many more healthy, and happy years filled with love, creativity, and joy. Thank you for what you've given me. God bless. Carol White, signing off, darling Joan, or should I say Joan Darling? Joan Darling, happy, happy birthday to you. Uh, my name's Brad Greenquist. I've known Joan for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. Uh, she would always teach out of my studio here in Los Angeles whenever she'd come to teach on the West Coast. And she'd always invite me into her classes, which I took her up on. And uh, it's impossible to encapsulate all that she gave me, but mostly it comes down to trusting myself as a performer. Trust, yeah. And she's always here right inside of me whenever I perform in my heart and in my soul. Joan, thank you for everything. Have a wonderful birthday. You are very much missed out here in on the West Coast. Um, have a great day. Big hug to you. Mm. Hi, Tony. This is Beverly Nero here. And I have been with you. Um, You've been in my life since I was 19 years old and I moved out here from New York to study with you. And I sat on your floor in your class for six months until there was a space for me. And finally, I got in and I soaked in every magnificent word that you said and your glowing spirit. And we ended up working together in all different spaces and TV and Broadway. And you helped me with the musical that I wrote. And um, I just love so much that you take everybody where they are because I was so terrible. And you just told me that you saw how much I loved it. So you kept teaching me and you just moved me forward in my own way. And you have definitely been my creative mother and my cherished loving friends for my entire life since we met. You are one of God's teachers and your creative standards are the standards that I aspire to. And you personify ethics both in art and in life. And you are the most brilliant and inspiring human on the planet. You are going to be 88 years young and there's 88 keys on the piano and you are my muse. You are the joyful music of my life. 
Happy birthday, dear Joni. I love you so much. Hi. My name is Kara Robertson, and I met Joan Darling when I was 19 years old, the first time I ever took an acting class from her. And what did I learn from her? Oh, just about everything I know and love. Um, but specifically, um, that whatever I brought to the party, either on stage or off, was good enough. And she instilled this sense that I was okay. And I was loved and lovable and talented. You know, whether it's true or not, I felt that way. So that was great. <laughs> And I still do. And I love you so very much. And, and I love Bill, too. And uh, happy, happy birthday. And many, many more. Mwah. Joan Darling. Joan Darling. Joan <laughs> Darling. Is that that stripper in New Orleans that's making all the headlines? No. Oh, you mean Joan Darling the acting coach extraordinaire and all around brilliant human being. Happy birthday, Joan. Look at, I'm on the computer. Um, God, what can I say? You've been an inspiration to me. Well, the first time I met you, <clears throat> I went in with Bij Barquette to sit in on your show. You were putting on a play and you needed a stage manager. And I just came off of the Rocky Horror Show. And there I was. I found myself in the back of the stage handing a plate to, I think, Dino or somebody like that. And then you gave me free classes. And that was the beginning of the rest of my life. And I learned so much from you as a human being and as an actor. And I will, all I, all I can say, you're inspiring. And I've got my um, inspiring, reassuring, heartening, encouraging, inducing, moving, inflaming. Those are all Roger's thesaurus that I've got. <laughs> But a happy birthday to you. So you're 46, I believe. That's terrific. And Bill's, God love him, he's still around. Joan, I love you so much. I am so happy the day I stepped into your life. God bless you. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Hey, Joni, it's Ashley Maria. You know me from UNC. That rhymes. Um, so uh, Joni was my teacher at UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, she was the one that really introduced me to play when it comes to working with actors and excitement and discovery. And it was something that really stuck with me, obviously, until today, because I just I adore all the actors I ever get to work with. I adore um, just the joy that comes out of, of building a piece together. And that's all Joni. That's all Joni. Um, and then Joan was also in my documentary, Pioneers in Skirts, where we talked about her career as well as my own and how um, the numbers aren't great for directors who happen to be women in Hollywood. So um, Joan was always such a big, big influence on my career. And then she actually even joined me in uh, an interview, which was really exciting. Um, 
So happy birthday, Joan. That's me just telling you all the amazing things that you do. And um, I'm so grateful to be here to say happy birthday to you. Hello, this is Andy Rovins, and I've studied with Joan Darling since 1997. I've learned so much. I learned how to speak. I learned how to tell a story as a director so that the whole cast and crew would follow me around the set as if I were the Pied Piper. And I learned how to teach. Happy birthday, Joan Darling. I love you. <laughs> Joni, happy birthday. Do <laughs> you like my glasses? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Joni, the biggest gift you gave me as a filmmaker was encouraging me to trust myself as a storyteller and director. And that was truly groundbreaking for me. You gave me the confidence to embrace my inner weirdo and tell my stories by any means necessary. And that I'm not an imposter, um, that I deserve a seat at the writer's table. You are so important to me. You are so much more than a teacher. You're my friend. You are the greatest mentor that I've ever had and the best role model that I could ask for. You inspire me every single day. I am so grateful that you are in my life and that we have our secret society. And I hope that you have the best birthday and that you get to treat yourself to a croissant today. I love you, Joni. Hi, Joan. Happy birthday. It's Jim Green. I don't think I look much like you might remember me, but I just couldn't resist sending you a message of love and cheer and, and thanks. And thanks for providing that safe space where I could shoot for the stars and risk falling on my keister. I think I did that a few times. And, uh, and thanks for, for exposing me to the joys of acting, which I never expected to experience uh, when I first came into your class, brought by my sister Karen to do a Woody Allen scene with Sue Ann. Thanks again. And I hope you've been having a wonderful birthday. Hey, Joan. Hey, Joni. <laughs> Casey. Yeah, remember us? Yeah. I think we spent, well, I think I spent like a, a decade with you in the yeah. 90s. And I was a good five years in there, somewhere after that in the 20-somethings. So um, what you mean to me is more than I can say in 60 seconds, but I love you. You made me a better actor. Yeah, me you too. Made me certainly a really good teacher. And Thank you. Because of what you taught me about um, the work being for the audience and, and never taking away from their experience, um, sort of paraphrasing, but because of that, I'm wearing pants, even though I don't really need to be wearing pants. My character right now, is supposed to be wearing pants. So. I have no idea what that means. Happy birthday. Love you, Joni. Love you, Joni. Hi, Joni. It's Janet Lund wishing you a happy birthday. It's um, actually, uh, it's an anniversary for our friendship in a way. Um, I started studying with you in 1973 when I was flown out to star in Young and Restless. And I had worked with Milton Katselis on Broadway. And he said, uh, there's only one person to study with, and that's Joan Darling. And we've been friends and co-workers <laughs> ever since. 
So I love you dearly. You are my favorite person, my favorite director of all times. And you've been such a light in my life. And thank you so much. I love you. May it be the happiest of birthdays and many, many, many more. I love you, dear friend and sister. Happy birthday. Bye. Well, happy birthday, Joan Darling. It's Del Shores, and I love you. And I talk about you to this day. You changed my life. You gave me tools to direct. You gave me inspiration and told me I was a good writer. And one time when you came to see Daddy's Dying after the show, you said, honey, you're playing with the big boys now. I love you. Thank you. And to many, many more years of health and happiness. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Joni. We love you so much. You have changed both of our lives. Um, you were the first teacher that made absolutely any sense when it came to acting, but you also just influenced my life and you were my second mother. And I am who I am today because of everything that you taught both of us and your love and your compassion and your support in my life. Um, I don't, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. I don't even know how I found you. It was 1989 and I lucked out and it just was amazing. It was like the one time you'd ever put an ad in the drama log and I found you and changed my entire career. I'm not an actor anymore, but I still use lessons that you taught me all the time, every day. And I'm a public speaker and I speak to thousands of people and I share Joan Darling anecdotes with groups and talk about all the stuff that I learned from you and how inspired you changed our lives. And there's also one other, there was somebody I met in class that uh, changed my life also. So we would not be a couple without you as well. So we could not be more fond of you and love you more and be more grateful for everything you've done for us. Oh my gosh. What'd you think? Do you, oh. do you, do you realize how loved you are? Seriously, do you know I, how loved you are? I, I, I know, I guess I didn't. Well, you know, I don't make me cry too. You know, the thing is, is it's like Kara said, I just wish for everyone watching that they would have a Joan Darling in their life because you make people feel like they're enough. And that is the greatest gift that you have given the world, whether they win an Oscar or not. And um, it's like Clarence the Angel said to George Bailey, not that you're going anywhere, but Joan Darling, you really have had a wonderful life. <laughs> Abby, it means so much to me. I couldn't believe that you reached all those people. Oh, my God, Joan. It's like herding cats, trying to get actors. They got yeah, like 20 cakes. I mean, it's it was, and thanks to Ben Nero and Josh Lozoff, people that helped me. But, but boy, I mean, listen, there are even more that wanted to do this. But, you know, wouldn't it be great if somehow we could all maybe see each other right now? What would you think of that? I would think that would be unbelievable. Well, guess what? Because a lot of them, a lot of them right. are right here. Guys, they are have been standing in the waiting room this oh whole time. God. I couldn't get all of them. Are you guys there? We got it. I let them in. <laughs> I think they're coming in. Here we go. Guys, we let's get everybody in and then we can all sing to Joan. Happy birthday. Thank you guys so much for being here. We, you know, in? I can't tell. Let's get everybody in. And I'll sing to Joan. Happy oh. birthday. Thank That's you guys awesome. so much for being here. Why does he do that? Start video. Okay. Start doing it. Sing to Joan. Happy oh. birthday. Here we go. I think there's even more coming. 
and, and we're going to say goodbye to the live audience as soon as we as we sing and we appreciate the live audience watching i know this isn't my usual show so let's all uh we'll all sing happy birthday and then we'll, then we can spend some time together on zoom as i let as i let my live viewing audience uh go on with their lives if i can find a way to end them all right, are we all here? All right, everybody. Let's see. We got everybody in. It says there's 16 people. Happy birthday, and then we can spend some time together on Zoom as I let as I let. You know what? I'm going to say goodbye to my live audience because there's obviously a Zoom problem. So thank you guys so much for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. You guys stay here. Please come back tomorrow when my guest is. I have no idea. Oh no, 2 p.m. Dr. Nadita Shaw. So I'm going to stop the live.